Hi, everybody. This is Jose Palomino, your host for today's episode of Business Growth on Purpose. I'm the CEO of Valley Prop Interactive, and I am thrilled to be able to bring to you today Stuart Benton, CEO of Bradford Soapworks. And Bradford is a leader in solid personal care products, and they go to market through B2B channels. So you're going to learn about that. And they also have really embraced sustainability in a sense, uh, doing well by doing good. And it's really good business, as we'll learn as we talk to Stuart and he joins our show right now. Well, welcome, Stuart, to Business Growth on Purpose. Well, thanks, Jose. I'm enjoying being here and looking forward to our conversation. Uh, absolutely. So, so Stuart, just as always, our, our listeners know, we always like to ask our guests to give us the best context. So what do you do and who do you do it for? Sure. So I'm the president and CEO of Bradford Soapworks. Uh, Bradford uh, is a longstanding company here in Rhode Island. We were founded in 1876 uh, by two guys from Bradford, England, who wanted to start a business in the textile capital of the new world, which happened to be Rhode Island. Um, and really because of Slater Mill. And uh, through the years, Bradford has always been focused in soap products. Um, and our, our latest uh, chapter um, has probably expanded over the last 30 or 40 years. And it's uh, where we are a formulating marketing company that happens to manufacture. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, we do this with uh, formulations mostly related to solid personal care. So if you think of bars of soap um, and you think of specialty brands such as, you know, L'Oreal and Estee Lauder and Mrs. Myers and SC Johnson, and we can go on and on, but we help those companies formulate their specific bars of soap and, um, and do all the R&D work. And then uh, we happen to manufacture it for them. Wow. So although what you make is a consumer product, you as a company in many ways are a B2B company in that you are, you know, you're entering into these, what I imagine are pretty substantial agreements to produce uh, specialized products for these big global brands. Yeah. So we work, uh, we're definitely a B2B company. You'll never see any products uh, in the solid personal care arena that uh, has a Bradford name on it. Um, but you'll see it, uh, you know, with other brand builders names or channel builders. Uh, but we'll deal with very small customers uh, that are innovative and maybe considered indie brands. Uh, and we help them on their journey to get to where they want to be. Um, and we help uh, the bigger companies that are in the space uh, continue to innovate. You know, uh, you know, one example way back when, you know, uh, Tom and Kate Chappelle, came down from Maine um, probably about 35 or 40 years ago and said, we have this great selling toothpaste and we would like a soap to go with it. And so we worked with them and developed the first bar of soap of Tom's of Maine. And, and we still work with that brand today. And, uh, and they're a lot different today than they were 35 years ago. So anyone listening to this who uses bars of soap, there's a pretty good probability you had something to do with it or you actually produced it. Yeah, most likely, if it's what I would call specialty and not cheap and cheerful, then we've probably had something to do with it. Not cheap and cheerful. I love it. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so, so you know, just a question because of the kind of product you, 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 you sell, which is not like an industrial machine, but it's a service. 
you know, the last couple of years, obviously going through the pandemic and going through, you know, these difficult times, even as, as we're recording this, uh, things going on in the world and so on. How does that affect a company like yours? Yeah. So, uh, you know, is uh, you know, the world, just like for everybody else, it's like the world stopped uh, one day in March and, and for us, uh, you know, it's March 17th, 2020, we, we'd been talking about it, but on that day, uh, anybody that could work from home, we sent home. Um, and, you know, early in March, we started talking about this and I had just come back from a couple of trade shows, the annual trade shows in Florida. Um, and so we had, we were addressing this and, and we put, you know, probably the same thing everybody else put in place is we need to keep the facility and the team members safe and whatever we do, that's what we're going to do. And so that guided our decision. We based it all in science. Uh, the day we sent the people home uh, to work from home, obviously we run a manufacturing facility. Right. So three quarters of the people we couldn't send home. And so uh, we implemented masking before the governor uh, mandated it about a week later. Uh, we slowed down lines. We uh, looked at our supply chains all over the world to try to ensure that we had enough product coming in. Uh, we staggered breaks. We opened windows. We put prop doors open, we physically distanced, you name it. We really, um, I guess, shook up the, the Bradford campuses. Um, we have one here in Rhode Island, one in Columbus, Indiana, and, and one in California. And, uh, and so it was, a, the world changed uh, for everybody. So uh, we proceeded and we were very cautious. And um, I'm fortunate to say that, you know, the team members worked extremely diligent. They persevered. Um, we never had to shut down. Uh, we had absences, of course, uh, because we had a questionnaire and any symptoms, you, you did not come on campus at all. Um, but the team persevered and, and we're able to, I think, build uh, and deliver on most of what our customers' expectations were. You know, today, yeah, sorry, I was just going to no. say today that the challenge is much different. Uh, it is a huge supply chain issue, which really did not affect us in, a, in the first 18 months. You know, we were able to pinpoint where our products were coming from. We knew our tier one and tier two and tier, tier three suppliers. Um, and we created ultimate flexibility. We carried way too much inventory, but we needed that to, to um, have the flexibility. Today, there are much more broad-based supply chain issues caused by uh, the chemical industry, and I say the chemical industry, but if you envision uh, little bits and pieces of, of organic or natural material that, that you can't find now, uh, a huge trucking shortage in the, you know, in the United States. And so the challenges are, we're, we're conquering them, but there's still many more challenges that we're addressing every day. Well, so there's two kind of questions that come to mind when I think about the way you describe this, right? So you, you you took a proactive stance once you realized, and I think, you know, a lot of uh, talking to owners, you know, over the last two years, once they realized, I think what you said, March 17th, I guess uh, the president announced that we're closing off to Europe. Is At least for me, that was like the, that was the real alarm bell. I said, okay, this is real, right? So, yeah. but from that moment forward, and, you know, you're running a, a substantive organization, you have manufacturing, like you said, three-fourths of your people, have to be there in some way. Yep. Uh, how did how did going through this together 
affect your company culture? I mean, did it create more teamwork or did everybody get like short fused or, you know, yeah. what, it could affect people differently. Yeah. You know, I think in the initially uh, it created um, a, a bigger, uh, it created a chasm, right? Within the organization. Um, we had our manufacturing workers saying, you know, why do the corporate folks not have to work? Uh, and I came to the office every single day along with my CFO because if my team's here, I'm here. Um, and we said they are working. They're just working from home. And uh, we said, hey, did you receive a paycheck last Friday? And they said, yeah, yeah, we got that. So we know the people are working, right? So and so there was and there was so much uncertainty in the first three to six months mm -hmm. that there was a nervous energy of what's going on and are we safe and um, and so it I think it probably separated us more than ever. But over the last eighteen months, we've able, been able to bring that together. So I've uh, been able to do that by doing some, you know, I do huddles. I do what I call SRB huddles and. We get the people working from home and um, we get them on Zoom and uh, I walk the facility and we provided uh, lunches and gift cards and a, and a whole bunch of things for the people that were on, on site um, and swag, you know, shirts and sweatshirts and things of that nature. Um, and then I think the next, you know, the other thing that aided this, we brought the people back on July 12th of 2021. Uh, that we're working from home. So now we have kind of a hybrid model. So we're kind of all back, uh, but it it was a journey to uh, initially get everybody's concerns, I'll say alleviated and making sure we're still on the same team and to pat down the nervousness that everybody had. Well, but then, you know, so, so you go through that and we think we're coming, you know, off this pandemic right i think most people view that as, a, as a, it's, it's a lot less than it was and people are less concerned at least judging by seeing how people walking around and going into yep. stores and restaurants and so on and then we hit now you know with the you know inflationary shocks and energy issues and all of that so just curious if having had people go through this this initial set of real severe like the most severe shock most people have ever gone through in their work life perhaps mm -hmm. And now you have yet another set of issues, like you said, supply chain issues and so on. Mm -hmm. Does that make your team, you think, better able to handle these like next set of challenges because the world's a very uncertain place? Yeah, I, you know, I think that's a great question. And I don't know if we're better handled. I think in to some instances, there's still it, it's, you know, you kind of take a deep breath and you say, okay, we're coming out of it. And then it's like, oh, we got to got these next set of fires to come and there's a lot of fatigue. Right. Right. Um, so I think I, you know, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing is fatigue and, you know, I need to just keep keeping everybody uplifted and, um, and being positive. We brought in, um, pizzas for everybody, uh, two weeks ago and, um, and just continue to do things like that to keep everybody on the positive because it's kind of like, Hey, I put that finger in the dike right uh -huh. we're good oh look here comes another one and i need to put that finger in the dike so um but i do think you know the team looks at it and says boy we were much more flexible and we had the ability to survive um much more than we thought we did could 
Right. So that's interesting. You know, and, and I love the word and it's a really great word for this uh, fatigue, right? There is a, there's a general sense. I think just people, right? Like at some point yeah. you just go, Oh, and, and clearly we see parts of the world where people are going through, they would like to have our problems. Right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. So, so, you know, there's degrees of that, but, but that's interesting organizationally, how you've managed that. Now, one thing you've done in particular, you've really focused your company strategically towards things like sustainability, fair trade, and so on, right? That's and, right. And I think people listening to this saying, oh, you know, those, those topics, right? But mm. they've actually been opportunities for you as well as you've, as you've embraced it. I, I'd like for you to talk a little bit, maybe just starting with like your philosophy around those things as a company, and then we'll explore a little bit like what some of the outcomes have been from that. Sure. So, you know, everything that we've done historically, we've always tried to be the, you know, the best employer that we can and, and be doing the right things. And, you know, a few years ago, I, I you know, dial it back maybe five or seven years ago, we started looking at our product set and, and I'd always get customers that would say to me, what's next? Is it liquid soap? Mm -hmm. And, you know, our answer was, it's not liquid soap. We, we, there's enough people out there doing liquid soap. And oh, by the way, we're not big fans of liquid soap because there's not a lot of chemistry and innovation in, in liquid soaps. And, and oh, by the way, there's a lot of waste in liquid soaps. And about the same time we were talking about this, we started reading and seeing about the lack of water that's going to be in this world going forward. And we, it was 2018, I believe, the, you know, South Africa was running out of water, right? They had no, no drinking water, no portable water. Um, and then a couple of years later, we get the story where India's largest lake is drying up. And so as we started telling everybody that would listen, our products don't use a lot of water and they're part of the solution. Um, for instance, you know, we, we developed a shampoo bar for uh, the Love Beauty Planet brand. Um, and that shampoo bar has about 6% water in it. If you go to an equivalent jug of, of shampoo, um, it's got 90% water in it and a lot of plastic. Uh, and only 6% of the plastic in the world is recycled. So, you know, we, uh, we hear all these stories about recycling plastic, but only 6% is being recycled. So there's a lot of waste there. So we really looked at it and said, this is part of our, our soul. It's part of what we're made of is about doing good. And so uh, in addition to the water, we started looking at sourcing. And I thought the best way that we could implement sustainability was sourcing. And so we looked at palm oil. Palm oil is, we buy a lot of palm oil. Um, it's used you know, in food products and personal care products. And there was a lot of concern about palm oil. Um, you know, you hear the stories about, you know, most of it comes from Malaysia and, and the Far East, but they were burning down, um, you know, uh, part of the natural forest to plant more palm trees, that they were ruining habitats for animals, et cetera, et cetera. And I've been to Malaysia, I've seen, I've seen the plantations, and I think they're probably not all as bad as we've made them out to, uh, but they, they're not perfect. Um, but we started looking at how can we source a better palm oil? So we worked with Rainforest Alliance, uh, which is a natural a national accreditation group. Uh, and we 
worked with a plantation in Central America uh, that we got certified. And so we source about 60% of our palm, palm oil and it's customer decision. But this palm oil coming from Central America, we have traceability from virtually the tree to our facility in West, West Warwick, Rhode Island. Um, also, that family-owned plantation provides medical to the community. They spend about a million dollars a year providing medical services, and they provide schooling, proper schooling, to the community. So not only do we have a sustainable product, they don't use fertilizers, they use natural uh, elements to, to do the fertilization um, and all that fun stuff. We can trace it. We know there's no child labor um, and we're giving back to the community. And we did it, we did it again with uh, shea butter. We do a bunch of shea butter. Um, we started working with a nonprofit called Global Shea Alliance. Um, we took a trip over to Ghana um, and there's these communities in Ghana um, that are very tribalistic, they're very old, they're very male dominated, but the women for years have been harvesting shea nuts, they eat it for food and they process it into shea butter for their own personal use. Wow. But they did it, they did it by community, by community, by community. They never had the bandwidth to sell it um, because it's like an apple, it falls once a year. Uh, so you have, when it falls, you have a lot of it. And by the end of the year, you don't have much. So this nonprofit started helping them fundraise for warehousing, uh, fundraising for tools that help pick them off the ground for fire, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so we've worked with them and now we buy all of our shea butter from this region of Ghana. Um, and the women get all the funding because it's only the women that are doing the shea butter. They have an equal say at the table now with the men. Uh, they're able to provide schooling and medical for their children that they weren't able to before. So just a couple of examples, how we looked at our sourcing and said, how can we make things better? Good for us, good for the world, good for our customers. Well, so I think back to the brothers who founded Bradford in 1876, right? Even naming mm -hmm. it after the town they came from in England. That's right. As I recall. And here you are doing work in Malaysia and Central America and Ghana, you know, just how small the world has become in many ways. And of course, the pandemic taught us that as well from a negative yep. side. But yep. but so, so I guess, Stuart, you know, where I'm curious in terms of maybe how you might, if you were talking to other business owner leaders, especially in the mid market to, you know, small to mid market, where when they might read things about sustainability and things like that, they say, well, that's, that's all well and good if you're like GE and you can afford mm -hmm. to eat profits to do good for the world and so on. What have you found for Bradford? I mean, it's, you, you mentioned it's good business. So this has actually been a net good for you as an organization. Yeah. So, you know, we're not a big company. We have, we have 400 people uh, in our, in our locations, a little less than 400. So we're not a huge organization. We're privately held. Um, and what we found is um, we have a competitive advantage over other competitors because we have palm oil that's traceable. So, um, can, you know, our brands can put a little green frog on their bars of soap, that certification that's well known um, throughout the world that they're, they've got a good product. So in turn, more people are buying their product. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a positive. Now, you know, I agree, you know, we have, we work with 
with uh, a lot of big companies and they have goals for 2030 and 2050, which are huge uh, and take huge departments to, to undertake them. But my philosophy has always been, um, it's, it's the saying that, and I don't know where I got this, but it's better today than yesterday, better tomorrow than today. And if we can do small incremental uh, advancements on how we do things and they're measurable, we'll find, we will get there. It's very hard to do big sea change but if you can do incremental improvement, so if you do the same thing with sustainability um, and ESG, and ESG might be too big of a word for us, but sustainability, how do you do a little better so the planet and the people are better in the future, right? And I think you can turn it into commercial gain. Well, well that's interesting. So, you know, the old adage, what is it, you know, uh, doing well by doing good. Um, it actually, there can be great truth to that. And, and what, I, what I also, in hearing your story, it also means that everyone in your, on your team has to be very intentional about what they're doing, which I'm sure has uncovered perhaps other, like, other strategic benefits that maybe don't even have anything to do with sustainability, but just because they're, they're looking at supply chains as closely as they are, they're looking at availability, they're looking at the resiliency of, of your suppliers and so on trying to answer the sustainability question, they end up answering a bunch of other related questions as well. And it probably gives you a much more robust overall, uh, you know, kind of base to work with. So that's very exciting when I hear that as a strategist. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I think really what it's helped us do is as we product roadmap out what we'd like to start, you know, offer new products to our, to our customers is you start looking at things that maybe you would have never thought of, you know, 10 years ago. So think of a, a solid moisturizing stick. So instead of a, of a liquid moisturizer that has lots of liquid in it, we can make a, a waterless moisturizing stick made of shea, shereal oil, and cocoa butter that has more moisturizing properties than the liquid soap, um, but there's no water in it uh, and it's in solid form. So it's really helped us look at our product road mapping and what's available out there and how can we bring new things to the market. Wow. Well, Stuart, first of all, thank you for taking time to share with us here. So uh, just two things. One is uh, if somebody wants to know more about your company, what you do, you, where should they go to learn more? Sure. So they can, uh, you know, they can go to our website, which is uh, bradfordsoapworks.com, I believe. Um, and then uh, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Stuart Benton. And uh, if you want to shoot me a note and say, hey, I saw you and Jose talking on, uh, on the, uh, the podcast, then, you know, I'll answer the, uh, answer the LinkedIn. So um, happy to, for anybody to reach out and happy to share the story. No, that's great. And Stuart, if you had, um, just to put you on the spot a little bit, but if yeah. you had one good word of advice to your fellow CEO, business leaders, and so on, looking out at the next you know, year, not that you have a crystal ball, but just what you're thinking, what would that good word be? Um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go maybe a little different. I'd say just make sure that you have empathy for, for your teammates, you have empathy for the suppliers, you have empathy for your customers, because, uh, you know, I think ultimately we'll get to where we need to get to, uh, but there's, it's not going to be a straight path. Uh, and we need to kind of make sure we understand where everybody is uh, and, and not discount how they feel or, or the frustrations or the difficulties they're having. So I just say, let's have, make sure you have a little empathy for everybody. 
a little empathy goes a long way. That's right. That's right. Well, Stuart Benton, thank you for being with Business Growth on Purpose today. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. It was a great time. Thanks, Jose. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.